You're listening to Real Talk for Real Men, episode number 29. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Okay, men, and welcome back to another episode of Real Talk for Real Men. I'm Guy Mullen, and I'm with... Chris Field. Great to be with you guys. Looking forward to another great session today. You know, I had some unexpected feedback during the week, Chris. Unexpected? Yes. We always expect feedback. (laughs) Yeah, but, uh, you know, our audience is to men, but it turns out some really good feedback I got from from a single mother who really appreciated last week's show. Wow. Yeah, so really appreciated our discussion about care and responsibility and about making that transition from just being really protective of our kids, or maybe it's our wife, to passing on the sense of them taking responsibility to be able to look after them themselves. Well, that's fantastic. It was something that was on my heart and mind to share. I'm just really glad people are getting value out of that. Fantastic. We'd love to get more feedback, guys. It's just great. And gals, it's great to hear what you've got to say. Yes, we'll try we'll try not to be too exclusive. I mean, obviously, we are mostly talking to men, but it's good to know that there's some, some, some women out there, some mothers as well, who are listening in and getting value from our show at the same time. Fantastic. Uh, I've got something I want to talk about today. Can I have the microphone today? I mean, I'll share it with you. (laughs) There is a topic I want to talk about. I don't don't think I'd be able to hold you back. There's something something that's been uh, niggling, scratching on the edge of my brain over a period of time, and particularly because of some people I've been helping and looking at their situation has just brought back into focus uh, a topic that I've talked about with different people over decades. But it's really to do with fear, and it's to do with the way that fear prompts us to go in one of two directions generally, either Mm -hmm. to inactivity, or Mm -hmm. what I'm going to call inertia, Mm -hmm. or to impulse, the feeling I better rush out and do something quickly because we're afraid of of our reputation or or something else, some other bad outcome. Mm -hmm. So I want to touch on that whole subject of fear today, if that's okay. Yeah, good one. Uh, Fear is a real big issue for men and for women. And it's something that we often very much keep to ourselves, don't we? I think so. And often, as I'm going to point out today, I think there are a number of fears that work in the background of our life that we haven't stopped to discover Mm. they actually are fears. And so I'm hoping today, for those people for whom it really resonates, obviously some people will say, I can't relate to that, but for those that it resonates with them, that we're going to kind of uncover something for them and have them uh, have an aha moment where they realize, wow, that explains why I'm facing this predicament or I react in that particular way under certain circumstances. Mm, there's very few of us, very few of us, if we're honest with ourselves, will say we don't have any fears in our life. Oh, yeah, but we think too, oh, well, I'm not afraid of spiders or I am afraid of snakes. Uh, I'll never move to Australia because they've got both. You know, these sort of fears are more obvious. Mm. But it's the subtle hidden fears I'm interested in too. Are we afraid of change? Are we well, yeah. afraid of something being taken away from us? Are we afraid of our reputation being damaged? Absolutely. Fear of success. All sorts of things that, mm. that sneak into the background of our lives. Mm. I, I remember years ago I had a, a father that was talking to me about his young adult son who was getting married. Fine young man. And he was very competent at his level of work. And I said to the dad, is there any chance of him getting promoted? He said, oh, he's been offered promotion three times and turned it down. Mm. I said, why? He said he's really happy being a process worker on a particular machine, three different men operating the machine. Uh, They've asked him to become the supervisor. And it's actually his fear of taking responsibility. He's Mm. perfectly happy to be told what to do and to stand there all day long and do his job really well. But the next step up 
meant handling responsibility and mm. that meant he got kicked if something didn't go right. He got told off mm. if it wasn't fast enough or if someone hadn't done something the right way around. And the fear of that was enough to keep him on a lower pay grade, even though the company wanted to promote him. I can relate to that. I turned down the opportunity to go for my first promotion. You did? Yeah, I did. How many years ago? Oh, no, I don't <laughs> and what were you doing back then? Well, I was, I was working at Transpower, New Zealand power operator, uh, transmission line operator and uh, it was it was back in the in the mid mid nineties. Now, for those people listening from overseas, New Zealand is a little tiny island off the <laughs> coast of Australia. <laughs> At least that's the opinion of the Australians, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, I my boss came to me. I mean, there was a, a job that was was up for grabs. It was basically supervising those of us who were currently doing the work that we were doing. And uh, and I didn't apply for it. And he came to me and he said, why haven't you applied for that? And I just said, well, look, I'm just happy where I am. I'm happy doing the job I'm doing. But but in the background, if I was completely honest, I'd say that, well, maybe I was afri- afraid of going for it and and not getting yeah, it, you yeah. know, and then having that hanging over me amongst yeah. the other guys who are my peers. Mm-hmm. Or secondly, that you know, maybe I wouldn't be able to do a good job of it. Yeah, interesting. And these are the sort of subtle fears I'm going to try and dig into today. Mm. Let me anchor this on a Bible verse, because in Hebrews chapter 2, in verses 14 and 15, we have a a passage about Jesus. And just to explain what it's saying, it says that Jesus had to take on human flesh in order to be able to help us, right? So he took on human flesh. But it said that then he was going to destroy him who had the power of death, which is the devil. And praise God. That from our Christian perspective, we're very excited that Jesus has actually beaten the devil. But then in verse 15, uh, the writer to Hebrews goes on and explains what's really significant about that for you and me. And that is that he would deliver them who, through the fear of death, were kept in slavery all the days of their lives. You think, what? Just run that past me again. Through the fear of death, Mm -hmm. people are kept in bondage or slavery Mm all the days of their lives, and that was through, of course, the work of the devil. And so that got me thinking that there are people who, for their entire life, 75, 85, 96 years on the planet, they are kept in some kind of bondage. Now, if you went up to them and said, are you in bondage, brother? They'd say, no, you've got fears in your life. They'd probably say, no, no, I conquered my fears when I became 16 and, you know, did a couple of daredevil silly things. Mm. But here's the Bible saying that these people have got that fear in the background of their life for decades, right up until their daddy bones. Mm. And that fear has actually enslaved them. Somehow mm. it's kept them away from the fullness of life or the fullness of life's possibilities, better relationships, maybe a better promotion, maybe better use of, of, of anything. I don't know. But they've been in a slavery mode all the days of their lives through the fear of death. Now, fear of death? Like, yeah, of course, we're not going to stand out on on the freeway and stand in front of a car. We're going to stay away from a a mad, ferocious dog or something. You know, we're going to stay away from danger. That's a natural fear of death. But most of us wouldn't be conscious that 24 hours a day for the rest of our lives, we are somehow bound by a fear of death. It just wouldn't cross our mind. And yet this is what the scripture appears to be saying. And that's what I'm going to dig into. That's why I feel for some people, they're probably going to say, wow, I've never seen my circumstances in this light before. At least I hope so for some. So how are we in bondage then? Okay, let me unpack that the way I understand it. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul, when he wrote to that little church in Thessaloniki, it might have been a big church by then, I don't know. When he wrote to that church, 
He said, I pray that um, your whole spirit, soul and body will be preserved blameless. Now, in our modern world today, we love categories. You know, we like to categorize things and and the the people who come up with the most clever categories sell millions of copies of their books because people like to find out what they're like and who they are, etc., etc., But when the Bible presents us a set of categories, that's far more compelling, far more important. Mm -hmm. And here is a set of categories. He's asking or saying that he's praying that the whole of the person would be preserved blameless before God. And he defines three separate components, your spirit, your soul, and your body. And so he's suggesting that most of us, whether we are conscious of it or not, live within those three dimensions all the time, spiritual, soulish and physical our body but hard to live out outside of those well it is but we're not conscious of it that's the issue i'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with right getting people to kind of think about that and by the way from a human point of view if you said to somebody who'd maybe been a, going to church and had heard this sort of stuff and you said what's the three parts of man they'd say body soul and spirit because from our human point of view we tend to start with the natural you know how old the person looks, how fat, tall, uh, handsome or beautiful they might be. We start with the outside. Then we think, oh, they're a nice person on the inside. And the spirit, that's that sort of thing that's tacked on somewhere on the edge somehow. That's to do with, we can't ever see it. It's very hard. That'll to become it relevant when, we, well, when the body dead, dies yeah, and yeah, yeah, where it goes. So, meanwhile, we just ignore it. Hmm. But the Bible uh, actually presents it the other way. The spirit is our real self, our most important part. Mm-hmm. Our soul feeds out of that. And of course, that reflects out into our body and and how we live and what the smile is on our face and so on. So interesting just to see that that distinction from the spirit, soul and body instead of body, soul and spirit. But let's think about the fear of death in each one of those three separate areas of our life. In our body, fear of death. Well, getting killed, you know, obviously. But then, you know, we, someone once said that sickness is like a mild case of death. You know, it's like we're not actually dead, but we're half there. You know, we struggle along. And so there's all kinds of ways in which we can be afraid, not just of the ultimate death of our body, but the loss of our energy or the inability to walk or, or going blind or losing our faculties. A- am I losing my hearing, says somebody, that they're worried about that? <laughs> what would you say? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, say that a bit more clearly. Um, and so people kind of recognize it's not just the fear of being in a casket or being hit by a bus. It's just the fear of losing our faculties, you know, mm. and you see older men, people that will go and try and kick a ball around with the young people and stagger off a bit later saying, I used to be able to do that a whole lot better years ago. And, yeah, oh, that's me. Yeah. Oh, that's you, is it? Okay. <laughs> I've nailed someone already. Um, and so there's a, an issue of the fear of our physical death. What would it mean then to have death in our soul? Well, I best understanding I have is that our soul is our mind and our emotions and our personality and our will, that those things are located in our soul. Uh, what most of us think of as our true self, the inner self. And in our soul, we can die in a number of different ways. Uh, maybe our body is fit and strong, but on the inside, we can be quite quite broken and wounded. For example, uh, we might um, feel rejected by people. We might feel that nobody likes us, that we're considered to be... Um, Uh, an unwanted person around the place and just going out into the street going shopping being around where the public is can be a tortuous and difficult experience if we're riddled with rejection now that's a death experience on the inside a death of our soul and so some people uh, they say i think it is that one of the strongest fears we have after the fear of physical death is the fear of speaking in public well why would that be the case 
If I say something wrong, they might laugh at me. Uh, people might think I'm stupid. People may not believe what I have to say. All of those reactions that we're afraid of are death to our soul. Mm. And we live in the fear of death. So there are people who will all their lifetime be in the bondage of never being able to accept certain public profiles or go into certain social settings because of the fear of death of their soul, yep. the fear of rejection. Or the other part of us, of course, is our mind. I had a, an amazing experience in New Zealand years ago. Uh, I was working with a pastor in a church. We had a prayer meeting going. And uh, we just said to people in the prayer meeting, if you, look, if you've got any issues, you know, come and get prayed for. And a beautiful young lady stepped out for prayer. I guess she would have been in her early 30s, probably. A young mum uh, married to a fine young man in the church. Uh, she was a home mum, so she was able to come to this prayer meeting, which was held in the middle of the day. And uh, she came forward for prayer, and she didn't actually say what she wanted prayer for. It was a small group of a dozen people in the back room of the church, just been praying together about issues. And the, the minister just spontaneously said, anyone here that wants prayer, step forward. And she stepped forward. So he went to her and, and just began to pray for her. And as he began to pray for her, not quite sure what to pray, he just felt that he should pray against insanity. Now, that's a very offensive thing to suggest to somebody that you're there insane, but he just thought that he would just say that. He said, in Jesus' name, I just break the power of insanity. Just just like that, just as, and just low-key, just really inoffensive. She screamed and collapsed on the floor, and we all jumped back, you know, like, whoa, what in the world is this? Uh, when she recovered from that, he said, I need to talk to you. And so he and I, because I was an intern in the church at the time, we sat in an office with her just to talk and find out what was happening. One of her aunties had gone mad sometime in the past when she was a little girl and the family would never talk about it. But she knew this auntie had had some sort of mental insanity problem and it had brought a fear into her that if it was in the family, maybe she would go mad one day too. And so she harbored this thing and it tormented her. She was beautiful to look at. She was a lovely, intelligent girl. She was a fine mother. She went to church. She loved God, did all the right things. But hidden deep inside of her was a fear that was really gripping her terribly, terribly tightly. And until the minister had just talked, used the word insanity, it had been hidden. But that was what popped the lid off the can. And she screamed and collapsed and finally then was able to address this fear. And he prayed with her and uh, broke the power of that fear in her life and told her that she had no reason to fear that she was going to go insane. It was a lie of the enemy. The yeah. devil is a liar. And it was just controlling her and tormenting her through the rest of her life, if it could have done that. Now, that's death to the soul. That's mm -hmm. the mind, right? So our emotions would be through rejection, our mind through maybe loss of our faculties. You know, People, as they get older, uh, have two problems. There's loss of memory and uh, uh, whatever that other thing is. <laughs> and so people, as they encounter that loss of memory, there's a, there's a fear about that. Am I going crazy? Am I going to have Alzheimer's? Am, am I going to be... A dribbling mess somewhere where I, 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 I'm just useless. And that's death, a living death, mm. a death of the soul. Mm. The other area would be the death of the will. That, uh, And I think a lot of wives struggle with this if they've got a very strong-minded husband, a really dominant, I'm the head of this home and you'll do what I say. Because what he's actually doing in that process is trampling upon her will. He's saying to her, you are a prisoner. Now that you're my wife, you are a prisoner. You do not have the faculty and the right of the will that God gave you to be able to be used creatively and for God's glory. I'm the executor of your will. Now, not every husband's like that. Not every Christian husband who believes in the authority of the husband and the headship of the husband would be like that. But a woman can rightly fear that because that becomes a death of the soul, 
a death of the will. Mm-hmm. Children, when they get to teenage years, begin to really struggle with that. I didn't mind daddy telling me what to do when I was five and six and eight. But now that I'm 18, I'm offended that he, he tells me I cannot do this and I cannot do that, which any other reasonable adult is perfectly allowed to do. And, and there's a struggle, not just with their independence and their desire to be adult, but with the feeling like, is he trying to enslave me? Is he trying to keep me a prisoner? Is my will going to die while I'm here in this home context? Is his executive authority over me such that he's actually killing my will? So these areas, personality, will, mind and emotions, can all come under the power of death. And usually, because that inner self is hidden from public view, we can struggle with those things for the whole of our life and nobody knows. We put on Mm. a smile. Mm. Hello. We can do all the exterior stuff to convince people we're fine, especially if our hair is right and we dress right and the public appearance is good. But we can be dying on the inside, just dying on the inside. And this is the kind of slavery that the devil can keep people in all of their lives. That's what the Bible says. Mm. Mm. You made an interesting connection back there when you talked about Fear and lies, and lies are the source of that fear. Absolutely. Because these fears, they don't come from God, they don't come from the truth, they don't come from his word, they don't come from his promises, they come from the father of lies. Which is why Jesus was able to say, you shall know the truth and... The truth will set set you free. free, You know, and because it does, it negates the lie. Hmm. And so a person can actually have spent 30 or 40 years uh, in a straitjacket of fear and be completely set free. Because that's what the truth does. Mm. You're spot on there, guy. Because it's the lie that the enemy uses. He's the one that keeps people in bondage through the fear of death. So what is it that is his greatest tool? Lying to people. Just telling them what he wants them to think. They believe it. That brings like a straitjacket into the whole of their life. And they're living in death. Mm. For the whole of their lives, potentially. Mm. Through the fear of death. Living in bondage. Mm. Now, that's the platform. So let's explore that if you want any other questions on that because I want to then jump onto inertia and and uh, this impulse issue. So does that make sense so far? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, let me just see how this... What about listeners? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. You just, <laughs> We're yeah, listening. Give us a call. <laughs> the, the reason this came up was I was dealing with someone who had great inertia issues. Hmm. They couldn't get up their backside. They knew there were jobs that had to be done, hmm. knew there were things they should be doing. Their wife was on their case... Their conscience was on their case, but they couldn't get up and do it. It wasn't hard to work out what needed to be done, but they had this kind of, you can't say it was depression, uh, a malaise, a sense of, of something sucking the energy out of them, a real inertia problem. And when I was talking with them and trying to work through what this was, I began to realize that this was a, a lie-based fear. Mm. And it brought me back to this, you're in bondage all the days of your life because of these fears. And we had to begin to discuss what was going on. He remembered a situation in his much younger years where he had performed at his very, very best, really did extremely well in a particular area of endeavor. And his own father had come to him and and criticized, he felt, criticized the effort that he'd put in. And it was such a deflating experience for him. It was so negative. It crushed his spirit. It sort Mm. of just damaged him on the inside. And that's that feeling like, what's the use Mm. Why try to be so good? Why put it? Why bust my guts? You know, the dad could have said, hey, that was fantastic. That was your personal best. That was excellent. That was brilliant. It really affirmed him. But the dad, for whatever reason, and probably not a bad reason, maybe to motivate him to try a bit harder, mm. picked out all the faults and basically made him feel like, well, you'll have to do better than that. 
And it was just so demotivating mm. that he recognized, and now this, is, this came out of several hours of conversation. I'm not suggesting he saw this on the spot, but it, we teased it out and we had a number of sessions together and I wanted to chase down this inertia problem with him. He finally recognized that it actually was a fear of failure. Actual fear of failure. Now, I think you mentioned that right at the beginning of our introduction to this talk. You talked about that area of fear of failure. And it was actually enslaving him into a pattern of inertia. And so to get off his backside and have a go and start the project, well, the project may not get finished. And guess what? Everyone's going to be at him. How come you haven't finished the project? How come? And so there'd be this horrible negative experience. If he tried and he did his very, very best and it turned out to be only 80% of what he wanted, then he would live with the failure. And other people might say, well, you could have done better than that. All of those things were a kind of a death that he didn't want to die. And so it was far easier to be criticized for not even trying. It was just easier to sit there and say, ah, I'm not feeling very well today. My back's a bit sore. Oh, I'll get around to it. Run all his excuses and live within that inertia or what we might call biblically slothfulness. But that slothfulness wasn't because he wanted to be lazy. It was because he was afraid that if he actually tried, he would be in worse state than by just sitting there and being lazy, having that inertia problem. Mm. Yeah, sometimes I get, uh, I understand that, that thought that it's better to have only given part of your best and have failed than to have given your very best and then to fail. So it sounds like this man you're talking about he gave his absolute best, and in his mind, and in his, he thought in his father's mind he was a failure, and because he couldn't do any better, he didn't want to be in that situation again. And none of us wants to get back into a death experience again. I mean, no. you know, I've talked to people that don't want to speak in public, and they can trace it back to when they were in third grade in the primary school, and the teacher asked them a question, and because they got it wrong, uh, everybody laughed. And just that one experience was enough for them to decide, I will never speak in public again. That, that they cut off the area of potential hurt and harm. Mm. Uh, or I'll, I'll never this or I'll never that again, whatever it might have been that mm. they tried. And that's a damaged person. And, and what's more, a straitjacket has been put on them. They go through life looking normal, but there are certain things they can't engage in because of that straitjacket of fear of death in mm. their soul. Now, I've mentioned body, I've mentioned soul now. The biggie, and I think this is the one that can really torment people, is the fear of death in our spirit. And you say, well, Chris, what's that? Well, the way I understand it is the greatest fear of death that our spirit can have is that we would actually be rejected by God. We know that God loves us. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John three sixteen. So... We don't have any problem knowing that God loves us and we're ready to encounter that. But the lie of the enemy that would bring people into real torment is you're not going to make it. No matter how many times you take your big Bible to church, no matter how many times you teach Sunday school, no, many, no matter how many Bible verses you memorize or, or all the good things that you do, how much money you put in the plate, you're going to put your foot in the wrong place. God's going to throw you out. You'll burn in hell because that's the ultimate death, the death of our spirit eternal damnation and so the fear that a lot of people will struggle with is what i call the fear of falling from grace i've received grace but i could make a mess and i could lose that grace i could actually mm. end up and so a really tormenting lie of the enemy that i've encountered people really really struggling with is the lie that doesn't matter how hard you try 
it doesn't matter, you're going down. You know, you were born to burn, you know. Um, don't think that your dalliance with Christian things is going to save you. Now, it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's an absolute lie from the pit of hell because the devil is a liar and he wants to bring us into bondage. And I want to just share with people a beautiful verse that helped me deal with this, and that's from Jude, uh, Jude 24. We know that lovely verse. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior, be glory, might, dominion, and power both now and forever. Amen. Sung as a, as a, a benediction in some churches, mm. the Bible chorus out of the scripture and song days yeah. of 1970s. A lot of people around the world know that beautiful chorus. But listen to the words. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Wow. When that burst in my spirit, I was so excited. Because you see, I'd always thought it was up to me to stop myself from falling. Mm. And that would come out of being in an evangelical church. Uh, let me explain this. To, this might be helpful to some people. If you go to a church, an evangelical church, where they tell you that you've got to put your faith in Jesus and get saved, there's a tendency to want to bring that message out at most services. In the church I grew up in, the morning service was for worship. The evening service was for evangelism. So every Sunday night, we would go along, the 15 or 20 of us, to support the service. It was supposed to be full of unsaved people, and we were supposed to tell them how to get saved. They just never were any unsaved people. They were just the faithful from the Sunday morning that could do two services who made it to the Sunday night. Yeah, it's, it's keep it's keep badgering the, yeah. the, the saved, those who are Absolutely. children of God, yeah. making them, tempting them to think that they're not really saved at all. Absolutely. And that all their efforts to, yeah. to seek God in the past have all been of no use. Spot on. And you know what? The preacher feels, I'm here to preach the gospel. To mm. prove that I'm doing it well, I've got to get a scalp. Yeah. But there aren't any scalps to get. So I'll go for a rededication. Yeah. I'll get the people here. Brother, have you thought bad thoughts this week? Brother, have you have you teetered on the edge of, mm. of, of hell this week? You need to come back and get yourself right with God. You sound the preacher from uh, uh, Little House on the Prairie. Okay. Well, anyway. Death comes unexpectedly. <laughs> now, let's not go there. We're talking about death. Now... Um, if you're a Christian and you've found faith in Jesus and you've received his grace, but every week or regularly, however often, you were being challenged to, to, to be afraid of your sin, afraid of falling from God, afraid, it just it feeds that fear of falling from grace. That's what that ministers to people. Mm-hmm. In fact, it ministers a spirit of condemnation. And sadly, a lot of people raised in a really committed evangelical community, whether it's Brethren or Baptist or Church of Christ or these different groups that would actually preach the gospel regularly, there's a lot of Christians there that are struggling with a fear of falling from grace because of a spirit of condemnation that comes on them because they're forever being reminded that they need to get right with God when they already are. Hmm. instead of going on and building on that and becoming uh, ministering people like Paul would want them to do, to, to Paul the Apostle, he would have got them saved. He wouldn't have kept telling them how to get saved all over again. He would have gone on from the first principles and whatever it was he would have filled in their lives and sent them out with Timothy or, or hmm. Epaphras or someone else to do the work of the ministry. And and they would have found fulfillment in, in growing through their, their, their stages. But their, people get kept in a, in a fairly um, limited spiritual place of growth continually berated with the, the fear of falling from grace and it's stifling spiritually we keep we get kept at calvary and we've got to come to calvary if you absolutely. like we've got to come to the cross and accept jesus but we're not to stay there absolutely you know and the we're to move on to the promised land if you like yeah. we're to move on to 
to to what God has for us, for the Absolutely. purpose that he has for our life, not to stay put as newborn babies continuously drinking milk yep. and remaining remaining as children. Preach it, brother. Hey. Now, <laughs> let's get back to Jude. Because yeah. I wanted I, the reason I made that digression was to come back to this again. That preaching that I sat under for years caused me to think that if I was not going to fall, it was my responsibility. Now unto you, Chris, who keeps yourself from falling was the kind of way I thought it was supposed to be. Hmm. And that scripture says, now unto him hmm. who is able to keep me from falling. Hmm. And I could go before God and say, God, I'm a mug. I'm a jerk. I'm egotistical. I, I'm distracted. Uh, I'm just as likely to be tempted as anyone else to anything that's wrong and offensive to you. There's no way I can guarantee I'm going to stay on the bus or stay in the, the seat that you put me on on the bus because of who I am. I'm also flesh in me dwells no good thing. Uh, God, I, if I'm going to make it, I just desperately need you to be the one who keeps me from falling. Hmm. And you know what? That put to death the fear of death of my spirit. Hmm. It set me free. The truth set you free. Hmm. The truth that my eternal destiny, I could actually put that in God's hands and I could walk with him through that process and trust him to keep hmm. me. Then that was just so liberating. So I've gone through all of that to show that there is this work of the enemy to keep us in bondage all of our lives through a fear of death, that the fear of death can be death in our body, it can be death in our soul, it can be death in our spirit, but that God's truth, God's word, breaks the power of the lies of the enemy and sets us free to be able to live. And I've related it just quickly to this chap's inertia, but I found as well that there are people who actually become impulsive because of fear. So, for instance, the fear, you haven't been a very good Christian. You better put a whole lot of money in the plate this coming Sunday. Oh, 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 why? Why would you do that? Why would you put money in the plate? Because the devil told you to, right? The fear told you to. Because the devil doesn't mind what you do with your money as long as he can keep you in bondage to fear. And you should be able to do whatever you do without impulse. You don't, you're not impulsive. Jesus was never impulsive. He was strategic. Mm. He knew what God wanted him to do, and mm. he did it patiently despite the opposition. And even when there was an open door, he didn't run through it. He just followed God's wisdom and, and went through it at the right timing and the right place. We should not be people of impulse. If the people listening here today are bound up in inertia, and they can't get off their backside and do what they know they should do, if they're the sort of people likely to do something on impulse hastily and, and then often do the wrong thing by doing that, recognize it's very likely because you're trying to handle fears that you've never even thought about. And they're fears that the enemy's put there, as Guy says, through lies. And that as you find in God's word the real truth, you'll break the power of those lies and get free because Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If the Son, who is Jesus, sets you free... You're free indeed, and you should be able to be, live your life without the fear of speaking in public, without the fear of going places, without the fear of failure, without the fear of embarrassment, without the fear of anything, and just then go and serve the Lord in that beautiful freedom, hmm. which I refer to as the glorious liberty of the sons of God. That's what Paul called it in Romans 8, that, that, that freedom, that glorious freedom that belongs to all the children of God that comes out of him setting us free. That makes sense. Yeah. And there's there's other areas where it can be impulsive too. Be worthwhile just going through a few examples. So not just in terms of, of the spiritual side of things, but think about in terms of your family and with your kids. Maybe your relationship's struggling a bit with your with your, with one of your teenagers and you're worried about that falling apart, so you impulsively go out and buy them a new car. Yeah, you do silly things, yeah. You go out and or you, you go and do, or maybe you think, oh, well, I need to spend more time with my family. I'm going to go buy a boat. Right. And you go buy a boat so you can go and, you know, mm -hmm. spend time with them but when it's done that way it 
nothing's really changed. No, that's right. And, you know, your family sees through it. Mm. And if it's driven by fear, it's not going to be a success. Mm. I think we probably ought to pray for people because we've we've talked about fears. There's probably some people listening that are feeling a little bit uncomfortable as they their fears kind of come to their attention. And I'd like to just pray that the truth of the God's word will actually set each of our listeners free from the fears. Mm. Even though we don't know what they are, we can't talk to them about it. God's, God loves you guys and gals, if you're listening. God loves you and God wants you to be free. Jesus came and he beat the devil so that he could set you free from being in the fear of death. It's, it's God's gift to you. Mm. And there's a couple, just before we do that, there's a couple of scriptures I'd like, to, I'd like to share. I've got this nice little card here, which has got some great summaries of some of God's promises. So if you fear that you're not accepted by God, for example... You fear that he's rejected you, that you're not not worthy of his grace anymore, that yes, you maybe you've you've come to him before, but you've just messed up so many times that he's just given up on you. There's there's, a, there's some verses which which you should think about and meditate on. So one of those is Romans five one. He says that I am holy and accepted by God. Mm-hmm. I am holy and accepted by God, not because of anything you have done, but because of of Jesus. You've been brought with a price. You belong to God. So 1, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. And I've been adopted as a child of God. So Ephesians 1, 5. So you've been adopted. You don't get unadopted. Yeah. You're safe and you're yeah. secure. So and speaking of security, so maybe you're wondering, you're worried that your faith isn't secure, that you're not going to finish well, that you're not going to make it. You're believing that lie that you talked about before, Chris. There's um, some verses that spring to mind. One of those is Romans 8.35 that you sort of almost spoke of before, uh, that you cannot be separated from the love of God. Mm. Nothing can separate it. Nothing, it means nothing you do can separate you from the love of God. Mm. You know, if those of you who know the prodigal son story, you know, the, the father, no matter what the son did, he still loved him. No, he didn't like what he did. No, he didn't like the fact he ran away. It caused a tremendous amount of hurt, but he still loved him. Mm. And nothing you do can separate you from God's love and um, and you can find grace and mercy in times of need Hebrews 4 16 fantastic yeah I presume you've got a bunch of supportive verses on the website if not you better put some of those up yeah uh, uh, we we actually talked about identity in one of our earlier podcasts I for the life of me I can't remember what number it was but we talked about a number of these and there's a there's a uh, there's an attachment which goes without a download that you can download uh, 30 or 40 great verses which will really help you with your identity and you know what are some of the promises that God says about you so I'll make that available Fantastic. attached to this post so yeah well thanks for letting me share that guy I appreciate that I hope that's been a blessing to some of our listeners yeah. you're going to do a quick prayer oh that's what I forgot about that let's do that mm. Father in Jesus name we just bring before you every man and every woman listening to this podcast who recognizes that the enemy has kept them enslaved through the fear of death in any way whatsoever, Mm. if it's death for their body or death for their soul or death for their spirit, we recognize that Jesus has already conquered the devil and defeated him who through the power of death kept people in bondage. Mm. And so we now claim that victory that Jesus has won. And we confess the name of Jesus over each one of our listeners right now. And we bind and break the power of that spirit of fear. And we just uh, release the truth of God's word. Lord, let your truth be powerful in the heart of each listener. And it has to be probably a different truth for each one because they've probably all got their own unique set of fears. Mm. But would you release your word to them? 
quicken it to their hearts and their minds and bring them to places even over this next week where the sermons they're hearing, the songs they're listening to speak your truth into their lives and completely break and overturn those fears. We release these people in Jesus' name into the glorious liberty of the sons of God, that they can enjoy all of the wonderful freedom that comes from being your child. If any of them have not yet put their faith in you, we pray that this would be the day when they would cry out to you and say, God, I need your salvation. I put my faith in Jesus and I want to be set free from all of those enslaving things. We pray that there would be a real release. Thank you for Guy and the the real men 24-7. We just thank you that this ministry is releasing God's truth and setting people free. We just pray that it would do that even more effectively day by day and week by week for the glory of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, men and women, for tuning in. We hoped you were blessed and uh, got a lot of encouragement and some real strength out of the show today. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.